Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. When 2022 began, I thought this would be a very calm and zen year, but it turned out to be super actionful and not just in this part of the world, but all parts of the world. And this has impacted many people in terms of their decision-making, brain health, and just overall mental health. So today, I got to you a certified hypnotherapist, a member of the National Guild of Hypnotherapists, an author who talks highly about being sensitive, and someone who's changed a lot of brains via psychophysiology and biofeedback. And everyone who's listening, I want you to listen to this show because this conversation comes from a lot of experience. And I would like, instead of having this whole mentality of being tough and rough to succeed, I want you to explore how being sensitive can change how you show up in life and everything about your life. And in doing so, please welcome Bill Allen. Welcome to the show. Thank you, CJ. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. I'm so glad to be connected to you. And Bill, just for a, like, let's imagine, right? You and me are out in a party and we're hanging out with a good amount of people and the ratio is good between men to women. We're all having fun. And I pop this question to a guy on the party. Do you think you're a sensitive man? Now, what do you think the reply would be most of the times? Probably no. <laughs> That's exactly. unfortunately, yeah. I, in, fa in fact, uh, we describe sensitivity. This is a personality trait uh, that about 20% of the human population has. So if you were to interview in that party 10 people, probably two out of the 10 would, if they were aware of it, would be able to reply honestly that they were sensitive people. Uh, the other eight would probably say no, but the fact is sensitivity is a personality trait is a spectrum. It's on a spectrum. And so even though the people that I talk about in the book, the uh, subject of my books is about people who have the higher end sensitivity, um, everybody in the human population is sensitive to a degree or else you, you wouldn't exist. You wouldn't be, be alive if you weren't sensitive to some extent. Mm -hmm. That's really nice that 20% of the population is sensitive. Now I'm guessing that the 20% is split around men and women both. So yeah, it's, looking it's about half and half. Half yeah. and half. So when we look at just the men, then the numbers might be quite less. And there could be a possibility that no one in the party would tell us that, hey, I'm sensitive enough. But we also think that most of the times people say, um, and there is this emotional sensitivity hypothesis which says that women might be more sensitive to men. Is that true? And why why is why do why does the whole world believe that women might be more sensitive? Well, it's partly because I think it's a misunderstanding about what sensitivity is. It's it's certainly a characteristic that we attribute more to women than men. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that sensitivity covers a lot more than just being emotionally reactive or emotionally aware. Um, it has a lot to do with how the sensory information that we pick up from the world is processed in our brains. It's how our brains are wired. 
wired a little differently uh, in how we perceive things and how we uh, interpret, uh, you know, the inputs that our sensory organs have. So I think for the most part, the definition the world has for what sensitivity is, is kind of this definition that it's a frailty or a weakness or mm -hmm. maybe people who are sensitive are kind of overly emotional and can't control themselves and that kind of thing. And that's really a misperception. Um, as a personality trait, there's a lot more detail to that. Uh, but you're right. I think most men would not want to ascribe themselves to being sensitive. And even some women might, might want, want to be uh, called sensitive. But the reality is this thing that I'm talking about is a personality trait. Okay, and it's measurable and it's something that uh, has been scientifically studied and validated. So it's not just uh, what the world thinks that makes a person sensitive. It's what science is telling us that this sensitivity trait is about. Thank you. And thank you really for saying that, because most of the times there were so many conversations where men would just put up their guard and say, hey, I'm not weak. I'm not, you know, I don't put me into that. And very good point. You mentioned that as the world is progressing and, you know, we're having so many women entrepreneurs, leaders, scientists, somehow women are also sort of moving away from the sensitivity area. And exactly right. Like you mentioned that, you know, we have different brains, we're wired differently, you know, men might have more connections, you know, between their hemispheres while women might have more connections around their hemispheres um, men would be good at smarter skills and women have this unique ability of analytical mind intuitive thinking so we sort of have like a different brain structures but when it comes to sensitivity it's completely different so how do you best describe if someone doesn't know like okay. being sensitive to a layman how do you best describe it yeah there's a there's a very uh, well just uh, Define definition for sensitivity. This is the one I use all the time when I talk to people about this trait, because a lot of times on the internet, of course, you can get any kind of uh, people that are describing sensitivity in a lot of different ways. But this is the scientific definition. If you think of the uh, acronym DOES, D-O-E-S, this is what we mm -hmm. most popularly use for defining sensitivity. And each one of the letters stands for an attribute to sensitivity. So D stands for depth of processing. And that means that people who are highly sensitive have this capacity to process information at a very deep level, not very shallow, but very deep. So they take information in, whether it's emotional information or environmental information or, or any other kind of information that they're picking up, and they process it at a very, very deep level. That means there's a lot of churn and there's a lot of things where uh, things are connected together that maybe a lot of other people don't see and they miss. So if a person, say one of your listeners, is somebody who does that kind of thing, where they do a lot of deep processing, kind of almost like a philosopher would, right? We take an take something and just really get down to its, its core. That's one of the attributes that highly sensitive people have is that we're much more deep processing than say the average person is. O stands for overwhelm. Uh, we tend to get overwhelmed more often or overstimulated more often. So if you think about this, highly sensitive people don't have better eyes, ears, they don't taste better or hear, you know, or smell better or anything else in their sensory organs. 
But just imagine that all that data that comes in from our sensory organs, and there's a little filter, like an aperture on a camera. And for maybe 80% of the population that was talking about that is not considered highly sensitive, their aperture is a little bit more closed. So they get more filtering that's happening. Highly sensitive people have a little bit broader opening and that allows more data. And so the tendency is you can get overwhelmed more because you're getting more stuff inside your, into your brain to process. So one of the things that happens very often is highly sensitive people need time to have some downtime. To, they need time to re recover and, and they want to be alone very often because it's a time for them to kind of settle their, um, their systems down. So that's one thing that happens a lot, too. So, if, again, if you're a, a person who has a tendency to be overstimulated fairly easily, uh, you, you might be a highly sensitive person. The letter E stands for emotional uh, reactivity. And this is a part that is kind of an outward manifestation that a lot of people see. And this is what most people latch on to when they talk about sensitivity. Because we deep process, we also process emotion a lot more deeply than other people do. And so that also feeds into the overwhelm and overstimulation. But the fact is that we feel things at a much more deep core level um, than most people do. And that leads us in many ways to the other part of the E, uh, which is empathy. We're very empathetic people. We care about what happens. You're going to find it a lot of highly sensitive people. There are people who work in the helping professions. They're either counselors or they're doctors or they may be teachers or they may be people that are doing things that help people because we have this high need, uh, high touch kind of uh, need to be uh, helpful and empathetic towards other people, to our fellow uh, uh, humans, as it were. Um, and so that's part of what that E stands for is the emotional reactivity and being very caring and very empathetic. And the last letter there is um, S, and that stands for sensing the subtle in the environment. If you're getting more data mm -hmm. in like we do, you're going to pick up things. Like, so let's go back to our party you were using here. So a highly sensitive person is going to be the person who walks into that party and maybe right away gets a vibe from what's going on. Is the mood of the crowd happy? Are they all... Are they upset or are they, are they feeling a certain way? They'll also be able to tell whether the music's too loud or if somebody across the room is wearing a very strong perfume, they'll pick that up. The hors d'oeuvres are too salty, whatever. They, they will be able to pick up these very uh, subtle cues from the environment. So we have this ability to pick up nuanced information. There's a good reason why we're like that because nature has baked in to the human population, this 20%, this, this wiring that goes with this 20% of the people who are highly sensitive as a kind of a protective mechanism. They're kind of like the canary in the coal mine. They're mm -hmm. sensing things that other people aren't sensing about what's going on in the environment. And a long time ago, uh, when we were more primitive and more probably more sort of tribal, this was an important factor to have into the population. That, Nature doesn't put something out there that doesn't have some usefulness to it. So that's one of the reasons why it's carried on through centuries and so forth. It didn't get deselected out or anything else. And I believe right now, CJ, more than any other time in our history, is a time that highly sensitive people need to 
recognize the trade, embrace the trade, step up and start being that canary in the coal mine for the rest of the population that may not be as aware. I completely agree. That is a very good acronym and it summarizes being sensitive very clearly. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. And when I think about that, like as I was going through the list, some of the things that were, you know, flashing in my mind. So you see, when I was growing up, I had a hard time because I felt, I now believe that I felt that I was being a bit more sensitive and being sensitive in this part of the world wasn't okay because it was looked at being weak and for a man being weak, it comes with other consequences. So as a result, long story short, I got bullied in school. Uh, I also was super fat when I was growing up. So that might be another reason. But then now I'm 31. And now when I look back at my life, I feel like I've been sensitive for the longest period. And I have thought that sensitivity was either bad or weak until I started developing more of these skills and explored personal development. Spirituality was a big part of it. But even according to many esoteric practices, we have these two sort of energies going in through our body. We have the male and the female, the yin and the yang, the shiva and the shakti. And it's important that we sort of balance these two out. Now, when you said some people are much more sensitive, I have also been doing some tech scans with like, you know, these aura aura scans and Reiki scans. And some of my reports have told me that I have 60% of female energy and 40% of male energy. So how much of this depends on your environment versus depends on, you know, the way you were born, you've always had it, you'll have it for the rest of your life. So does people, do people become sensitive with like a given factors or they're just born that way? Well, first of all, I just want to applaud you for uh, mentioning the, the the idea that, you know, when we talk about these different attributes, we tend to put them in buckets. And this is not just something that occurs in your part of the world. It occurred with me growing up in the area that I did in the United States, which is a very traditional part of the, uh, the, the country and where male and female had certain roles they played and you had a, you were in one bucket or the other. And being a sensitive boy, growing into a sensitive man, it was very challenging for me. Uh, So I want to say this. I truly believe, and I write about this in the book, that we both have both energies, both feminine and masculine energies. Um, And that that, uh, highly sensitive men have a tendency to naturally express more of the feminine, the nurturing, the intuitive, things that we, you know, course as sort of culturally define those things as male attributes the reality is they're human attributes right and humans can be intuitive whether they're male or female and having some of those uh, masculine or feminine attributes but and the same thing applies for women women can have masculine attributes as well most of that stuff about what a man is and what a woman is goes beyond biology and it gets into cultural constructs what we think a man is supposed to be what we think a woman is supposed to be and those things believe it or not as i've been talking to more and more people from around the world they seem to almost be universal uh, despite cultural differences people tell, still th- tend to think of men as being this way and women being that way more emotional for women more intuitive for women more nurturing for women and men are supposed to be sort of uh, withdrawn, unemotional, totally logical about everything and have all the answers, right? Be the protector. 
the reality is that's not I, I that's not true it men can express themselves in many different ways and i think this is a important thing and i'm going to get around to answering your question in a second mm -hmm. the most important thing about this is the fact that we're reaching a period of time where people are learning to be able to express themselves as who they are and i think that's reflecting this notion that we're all human beings at first male and female second those are kind of biological yes but also cultural constructs now to your point about what you were asking about earlier is this is a genetic trait high sensitivity is a genetic trait and it is also things that you're socialized to learn so a little boy could grow up he could be born highly sensitive but as he's growing up especially those first four or five years of his life, he is starting to receive social indoctrination about his gender. So mm -hmm. he's being taught boys don't cry. Boys have to be strong. Boys don't want to be like girls. Boys have all the answers. Boys don't need to ask for help and so on and so on. So this sort of man code that is taught to these little boys as they grow up. So they are caught in a position you think about this, if you're naturally highly sensitive person, you're being asked to jump out of who you are and to be something else in order to fit a role model that somebody has dictated to you culturally. So that becomes a problem for a lot of highly sensitive men. There's conflicts inside. You know that doesn't feel right to you. And so what you want to do is conform because you're being told that's what a man's supposed to be and you don't want to be seen as less than a man. Well, the whole thing with sensitivity right now, one of the things I think a lot of people like myself and others, uh, highly sensitive men are starting to step up now and say, look, this is just a way to be. This is not the end of the world because I'm highly sensitive and I tend to be a little more emotional sometimes, or I tend to be a deep thinker, or sometimes I get overwhelmed with all the stuff that's coming into me. Um, that doesn't make me weak. In fact, I think it actually is a gift if you think about it, because if you can get more information in and you can connect the dots, you're going to come up as a better problem solver. You're going to come up as somebody who's going to be creative and is seen as a creative person. So actually having the gift of sensitivity, if you learn how to control those things, like how you get overwhelmed and there's ways to do that. And also how you control some of your emotions so you don't get in these tidal wave of emotions, right? Get drawn off somewhere. The idea is that with that ability to understand the trait, that's education, and then being able to embrace the trait, which is accepting who you are, you can be an incredibly awesome person. And the studies show that, that highly sensitive people who are raised in positive nurturing environments, they not only, they not only do well, they ex do exceedingly well. And that's one of the reasons why I'm getting out here writing books and, so, and many other men and women as well are talking about the trait because it really needs to be discussed. Thank you for that. You mentioned something else, which was very important. You need to know how to control your emotions and not be overwhelmed. So looking at what's going on in the world, you know, we were in our houses for about two years. Now there are other things that are coming and in the future, things are going to get more challenging. I hope not, but there's always a room for things, new challenges right. coming in, overwhelm, anxiety, social media, so many things coming in. So what are your few tips to sort of, you know, calm down the overwhelm or reduce the anxiety, get uplifted? What would be some of your tips? 
Well, obviously, a lot of it has to do with self-care, right? Uh, and a lot of people, especially highly sensitive people who get caught up in emotional, what I almost call tidal waves, right? Uh, I kind of compare it to being a surfer. You can get on the board and ride the wave, right? Or you can fall off and get inundated with the wave covering over you. And this is what happens. As children, we're very seldom taught how to control those emotions. We're, you know, uh, what happens is we have these little tamper, temper tantrums and we go and our parents kind of either uh, react harshly or they just let us let us do whatever instead of helping us channel that energy into something more creative and productive sometimes it's just a matter of taking a time out like a child would take a time out if they were being overly emotional um i really like to you know you mentioned earlier that i did uh, neurofeedback brain training which was a really great tool for helping people um create a more resiliency in their brains right and so their reaction to it is is going to be similar i mean you're going to be react to things emotionally but the, but the important thing is recovery right it's how you recover from that reaction time uh, that reactivity and that's what doing things like brain training do does uh, you can use hypnotic techniques where you can do self-hypnosis um, you can listening listen to calming music. You can do meditation, which I think is probably the most time-tested method of doing um, of, of doing this emotional regulation is to be able to calm your mind down. Because what's happening is, you, you know, your brain is your body is reacting to something as an emotion. You're turning it into a feeling in your brain. And then you're creating some behaviors that fall off of that. And you, we tend to fall into patterns. It's the recognition of when you're in that emotional crisis that makes you mindful of it. And then you can stop it and take an action. It's basically retraining your brain to react in a much more calmer way. Um, I, I, I don't agree with you know, doing the medication route, which very often is needed for some people, but I don't think, you know, taking antidepressants and so forth. I've done that before and I have a tendency uh, is to numb you, you know, so you're not feeling emotion at all. And one of the problems with that is that you don't experience those things in life that you really need to be able to experience. So it's much easier, I think, and much better for the individual if they're controlling from within and learning how to regulate the emotion from within. Like I said, a lot of techniques, a lot of great books out there on how you do that. But I think one of the easiest and most portable and easiest to learn is to do some type of mindfulness meditation, some type of breathing meditation, something that will help calm you. You know, when I was doing hypnosis, CJ, a lot of times when I would tell people, you know, you need to, I want you to relax and we're going to count down and so forth. The thing that I found out more often than not is that people didn't even know what relaxation felt like. So when you tell somebody to relax, they don't know what you're doing. They have no point of reference because they don't know what it feels like in the body. So I would have to go through a, a process of uh, relaxing them, you know, bit by bit as we went up and down the body to, to relax muscles and, and muscle groups, et cetera, et cetera, so that they could understand what relaxation felt like. 
And if you don't know what relaxation feels like, you can't go to it. Somebody will say, well, just relax. Well, how do I know how to relax if I don't know what it feels like? So that's one of the things, like I said, is learning some mindfulness techniques about how you can relax your body and relax your mind. Thanks for sharing that. Definitely, I 100% agree that doing having a meditation practice, even if it's as small as like five to 10 minutes per day, it would give you more return on investment of the time, the amount, the energy that you put in. Because here's the thing, um, for most people who would want to try meditation, at first, it's going to suck because you don't like, William mentioned, you don't really know what you're getting into. It takes repetition and it takes a certain amount of time for your body to start understanding like, aha, uh -huh, this is, now I feel so light. I feel so relaxed. I open my eyes and, you know, I have some positive thoughts. So it is a process. It takes time. The second thing that you mentioned, some kind of breathing, also super powerful. I also recommend, you know, there are many breathworks out there. There's a, you know, the 468 breathing, the box breathing. Right. So yes. many of these that are easy and are free. One other thing that I like to do is every time I, you know, I'm either maybe a little bit overwhelmed or the thoughts are keep running through, I realize that most of the times these things happen in closed environments. So let's say you're in a room, you're in an office, and you aren't able to sort of see beyond like the four boundaries and your thought is very limited. It sort of gets you more stressed. And one technique that I've used in the past is, like we mentioned, like, you know, we were talking about this offline, like I love going hiking. And as soon as you go into an environment which is much bigger, where, you're, where your vision or your visual perspective isn't really limited, see further off, whether, you know, you could do it in a city, in a mountain, like go to the beach, that helps a lot. There's a lot of negative electrons on the beach. You know, I try to go barefoot in this part of the world. It's very easy because it's not that cold. So anyone who's listening, if you're in Dubai or in the Middle East, try to go into nature, you know, throw your shoes away, do some grounding, get some sunlight. It also improves nitric oxide flow. It improves blood pressure. It gives you enough red, near-infrared, vitamin D. There are so many benefits of just sort of stepping out. But if you're in an environment which stresses you out, location also has a lot of energy so if you're at your desk and that desk is stressing you out step away from that desk for a bit and that new location will come with a new sort of an energy but if you want to just be stuck on one same place where you are super stressed then it won't work um thank you for sharing that and also you mentioned about these crazy times and i agree you know but what's also happening william is that now, social media influences our decisions. It, it influences our decisions to buy things, uh, elect leaders. You know, there are wars going on in the world right now. And, you know, this is the time that sensitivity, like we mentioned in the beginning, can really change the world if people start embracing it. And you... In your work, in your book, you talk about bringing this whole new model of, you know, people should be more kind, more thoughtful, they should share more, they should love more, and, you know, they should be responsible for each other. But then all of the information that we're getting that is sort of modulating our brain, is modulating and strengthening those synaptic connections are probably information that 
shifts us away from sensitivity. So what should we do? I mean, people can read your book, they can listen to this podcast, but apart from that, their environment is sort of moving them away from, you know, not being relaxed or, you know, just always go, go, go and soldier on and, you know, showing images and things that if you don't slow down and if you keep on moving, you will succeed. So a lot of people are in this illusion. Are there some other things that you recommend, like, you know, re- going to some, like re- watching some kind of either uh, videos or doing something else that can get people out of this algorithm of only understanding what they've been, like what people want them to understand, basically? Yeah, you gave a really good point about social media. Um, you know, human beings are social animals by nature because we're more pack animals than anything else and just a bunch of individualists running around. Um, and one of the things about being in physical proximity to other people is that your reaction to them is usually very different than it is when you're on social media. Social media there's a certain anonymity about it. And I think that gives people the false impression that they're protected so they can say what they want to say. They can usually express themselves um, more critically of other people um, in very often very unkind ways. Uh, We kind of have drifted away because of social media. You know, I think the internet uh, and I've been around long enough to have seen the thing evolve from a very primitive state to where it is today um, is a really good thing. I mean, it's, it's information exchange is incredible. Uh, you can do things, find out about things that you never found out before without having to go to a physical library, or even in some cases having to do massive research in, in different places. That's a good thing. And the ability to communicate with people and have accessibility to communicating people, that's a good thing. But the idea that we've gotten lured into this idea that there's no accountability for what you say and there's no accountability for being unkind and not being cooperative and and being hyper competitive and so forth and so on. Those are things that are that are things that scare me about the Internet and scare me about where things are going. People are accepting things without using some a degree of critical thinking. So those are all much larger society problems. But yeah, I think taking a stepping back away from the internet, uh, certainly going into it a little skeptically when you're on social media in terms of what you accept as truth um, and whether you think that it resonates with you or not, you need to make, be paying very close attention to that. But you brought up something a little while ago about getting out. I think people, I think COVID has kind of boxed us all into our houses and into closed spaces. It's really important, I think, to be able to put this all down, including computers, and go out in nature. There's something about being connected and grounded to the earth. There's something about being out in, you know, the world of nature where you're experiencing sensory information that you won't get on a computer screen or a a phone screen or a tablet screen. These are things that I think that are critical. So 
it's just like anything else. If you're if you're having a diet of drinking sodas and eating candy all day long, it's going to have an impact on you. And the same thing would be true with living and breathing always on social media. That's the only way that you express yourself. We have really got to get back to learning about what it means to be kind, what it means to be thoughtful. And this is why I think highly sensitive people are important right now. This is something, and and I'm not saying highly sensitive people are, are these wonderful angelic creatures. We all have our own individual personalities and we express ourselves differently. But one of the things we do is with this high degree of empathy we have makes it difficult for us to be unkind to people. It makes it difficult for us to uh, purposely hurt people. And I think that may serve as a good model for other people. If they can see that there is a group of people, a subgroup of people that really are wired to be kinder, to be gentler, to be more sensitive to what other people are feeling and thinking, um, that to me uh, would be a great use of the trait to be shared with and model for the rest of the world to see. So that's why I say I really encourage highly sensitive people, people who suspect they're highly sensitive, or even people who are close to being highly sensitive Hmm. and still have some of that sensitivity, but may not be quite over into the highly sensitive uh, group, to start doing those kind of things, to start being more kind, be more empathetic of what you're saying, what you do impacts other people, whether you're able to log off and walk away from it, or whether you realize that you're, you you said something that quite possibly could have injured, emotionally injured somebody else. Very true. It's time we all reflect back. And another tip would be just hang out with more sensitive people. <laughs> that, that'll that do the trick. You know, you'll yeah. catch on to their energies. You'll see a different perspective. And most of the times, um, if you ask someone to do something really nasty, even if a group of people around them are doing it, a person says, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. But if you ask someone to... If you see people being nice and you ask someone to do something nice, there's a high level of chance that everyone will follow doing it. So hang out with people who are kind, who are thoughtful, who are loving, who like to share. And it'll be easier for you because, um, you know, your brain is just wired that way. Brain performs best when it bees nice to people. But anyway, for the people who are listening to this show who are mainly interested in athletic performance, you know, all the biohackers who are looking at increasing their sleep scores or, you know, just performing better in the world, making more money. Do you have any data that suggests that being more sensitive or having a more sense look towards life would help people in all of these domains in like physical performance, personal performance, relationships? Does it have an uh, carryover effect? Well, I, that's a very good question. I, um, I would say that highly sensitive people are, are a little bit more in tune with their bodies and they're more in tune with um, how they feel and, and their, their, even their psychology. Um, so they might have some advantage there. Um, they also might have some disadvantages and that is that they might be overthinking things too much or they might not uh, take make best use of this information that they have so there's a kind of a balance between the two uh, when they describe sensitivity as a spectrum they they use a flower metaphor okay and those people who are on the lower end of the 
sensitivity spectrum and realize that this is not only just emotional stuff, but it's how you react to the environment around you, which is definitely one of the things that contributes to whether or not you um, have a successful life. And that's defined in many different ways, right? But those people on the lower end of the sensitivity spectrum are known as dandelions, right? Why? Because dandelions uh, can grow anywhere, right? They're very resilient. They're very, they're less likely to be impacted by the environment. So they seem to be more resilient and hardy, right? The group in the middle, which is the big middle, think of a bell curve, it's the big middle, um, are called tulips. And they're more uh, resilient than, say, highly sensitive people are, but maybe a little less so than the, the dandelion group. Uh, but they do have that as sensitivity as well, and they react to it as well. Then at the very end, a very high end, you've got the highly sensitive people, and they're called orchids. And if you've ever tried growing orchids or you know anything about orchids, you've got to be very careful about how they're raised, how they're kept up, or they, they, they're, you know, they die easily, they wilt easily. So you need a lot of care. They need a lot of care, an absolute lot of care. But really what that means is they are more sensitive to the environment. If the environment's not good for them, they won't grow and thrive. And that's what highly sensitive people are. So highly sensitive people are naturally in tune with the environment and has a greater impact on them. So that might have some effect on how they sort of hack their way through life and, and all those biomarkers that you were talking about, sleep and, and, and how you perform in terms of athletics or anything else. One thing that I would mention is that for any of those people that are interested in that is really get in tune and understand what flow state is. Flow state is a state of um, where you're very concentrated, very focused on a task. Uh, and there are some benefits of being in flow state. That flow state allows you to really uh, um, perform at your best level on a particular task because it's challenging enough to keep you engaged, but it's not so challenging that you can't accomplish the goal. The benefits in doing that, that would be my biohack, is if you can mm -hmm. find things that you love doing that are interesting to you, but challenging to you, and get in that flow state, there are psychological benefits, well-being benefits that you can, you can assess by doing those kind of activities. You're always doing things that you really become rote and they're kind of meaningless to you and they 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 don't give you that challenge and don't offer offer you the opportunity of being able to uh, accomplish something that is uh, meaningful to you. Um, they won't give you that state as much unless you kind of get into a Zen state. Like, if, for example, if you're do, uh, doing your yard work or whatever, or housework or whatever, and that's that may not be the most interesting in the world, but you can use it as a kind of a meditative uh, background to, to getting yourself into to a calmer state. Mm -hmm. Low state is a little different. That's actually doing something that is meaningful to you, that engages you. And I, I think that would be probably one of the best things that I could share uh, that, that since it, and I do this with sensitive people, I write about this on, on my blog, about getting into flow state, what the benefits of doing that are. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that flow state is a very powerful state for anyone who's listening. And think about it this way. Think about a time that you started to do something and you said, okay, I'm going to do it for like 30 minutes or an hour. And then you get into it and then you realize like two hours have passed and you haven't even noted the time. 
that could be one of the examples where, you know, flow state comes in, where you get so involved, you get so productive, time flies by. And for everyone, this is a different experience. So some people, like, for example, would have it while they're swimming or I can I get into flow state sometimes when I'm doing some sort of like downhill cycling where my body and my mind is engaged. Um, you know, it's a little bit challenging. If I don't pay attention, I might fall. But it's also good enough. It's giving me enough adrenaline to put me into the game. Surfers get into flow states quite a lot. So find what your find what your trigger for flow states are. Also, William, what I like to tell people is, and what you mentioned was, that it should be accomplishable. So most of the studies that have been done on flow states, they say if it's around, you know, it it shouldn't be that hard. So the ideal would be around a 6 to 10%. Like if something puts you 6 to 10% outside your comfort zone, that's a good one. But if you go for something like which is 20, 25, 30% outside your comfort zone, that might be a bit too much. So try doing that. Another thing use sometimes I use is to get to more of those calm and flow states would be things like binaural beats. Or, you know, you can have... Um, a lot of this nowadays, there have so many apps and so many devices which use different combination of sounds that will put your brain into either a focus state or a zen state or a relaxation state. So experiment with that. But very good point. Thanks for sharing the flow states. Now that we're talking about like the brain, let's switch gears a little bit. So you have helped change a lot of people's brain you've used many techniques one of them was neurooptimal brain training so tell us what a neurooptimal brain training well neurooptimal is a is a particular type of um, neurofeedback tool it was developed by two psychologists who are out of canada uh valdine brown his wife uh, susan brown and uh What's nice about this technique, because I'd used other techniques where they use EEG, um, uh, brain monitoring, um, which gets a little bit more complicated uh, because the assumption here is the brain is very dynamic and that it doesn't sit in one state long enough to alter things uh, and, and make it permanent. So what Neurooptimal does is it uses some of the, the tools that EEG monitoring does, mm -hmm. but it automates it at, at in the software that it uses. And so that it's a dynamic di uh, sort of a dance with the person's brain. It's monitoring what's going on at multiple levels um, over different brainwave states. And it's monitoring for certain points when the brain is ready for a learning experience. The all algorithms are very complicated. I can't explain them because a lot of it, it's yeah. way over my head. But what happens is that uh, the person sits in a very quiet position. Many people who do this with me go to sleep because it's it's so relaxing and so calming. But there's certain there's an audio signal that sends a signal out that the person hears at certain key times during the session, which is about 35 minutes long that wakes the brain up and says, this is the time to look at this. It's following the brainwave activity. And as the, these key uh, indicators are coming in, 
the software sends a signal to the brain to wake up. Now, what I like about this is that it completely bypasses the conscious critical mind. Uh, this stuff is, is sending a signal that you can't interpret. You can't say, oh, I don't want to do that, or this is the, whatever. All it's doing really truly is just alerting the person's brain that this is a good moment in time for you to do some changes within the brain itself. Over time, doing this, it's, it helps create a more resilient state in the brain of the individual that's doing the training. This is brain training. It's not therapy, okay? Mm -hmm. You need to be very clear about that. Uh, it's just training the brain to be more resilient. And I did many, many sessions on myself. I found in circumstances that I would be really either annoyed or very uh, stressed out, that I could weather those things very easily. Like we talked about earlier in the show, we're talking about being resilient. How much, how little recovery time you need after your brain gets to that point where it's resilient. And that's really the changes that were taking place in people. People who are normally nervous, anxious, uh, stressed out, um, would find themselves becoming more calm over time and realizing that they could recover quickly from stressful events. Um, it helps with a lot of other things, but again, it's not a cure. It's not a treatment. It is a training. So much like physical therapy is different than working out at the gym with a personal trainer, both have their benefits, but physical uh, therapy is working on a specific problem and a, spe a specific issue with your anatomy or your physiology. Whereas working out is building something, muscle groups and, and, and doing cardio exercises to help build the body up. That in many ways is the preventive thing, right? You're doing that mm -hmm. to kind of prevent disease from occurring because you're building up sort of a resiliency in your body. This is exactly the same kind of difference you would have from doing some kind of therapeutic uh, neurofeedback and doing brain training, which is what I did with clients. Or taking a bunch of pharmaceuticals, which would be in a completely exactly. different end of the spectrum. Exactly. And I like um, how you mentioned that, you know, it's a very good way to train the brain. And this is also one of the things that is highly important today because with the adequate amount of stress that people are facing, you know, many people have so many jobs, there's a lot of environmental issues, the news is a very big factor. And I think many people end up burning both ends of the candle and this is what this is where we see addictions come in this is where we see alcohol abuse come in so right. many people would you know depend dependencies like cigarette smoking or something else drugs it happens because you're not able to recover from the stress and i think this is one very good intervention sort of if you can think about everyone who's listening think about it this way if you had the ability to step in and train your brain either to get into a learning state or go into like, you know, if you wanted to prep it before sleeping. I also do some brain training where I go through some sessions of alpha training. Then I go through some sessions of high level gamma. And you really see a difference. Like it's, it's not just like, you know, for everyone who's listening, I have experienced some of these things. Things, or I have experienced, I've experienced some other um, tech and the things that it's as simple as sometimes when you're about to react to a situation and mm -hmm. you're like, oh, damn it. 
you you have you get this moment and it's very similar to meditation because if you've meditated for a while and if you can get into those altered states then you the problem or the situation that comes in and you're like oh shit and you have a reaction this time you you have a few moments to decide that hey what do i want to react with this there is a situation and you know it doesn't tick you off so this would also be a very interesting way to sort of enhance your resilience and um, brain health anything do you um and while we're on the topic of resilience do you have any other tips for people because i think we need a world that is more resilient than before going on like with all the things that are going on well i would think more 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 part of anything else and just thinking as you were describing some of those other things uh, including brain entrainment which you know which mm -hmm. is using the binaural beats or isochronic tones or a lot of apps on phones that you can get that information. You know, we're not born knowing how to cope with a lot of the stressors that are out there and how to deal with things. So as I was saying earlier, you know, highly sensitive children are very often not taught how to deal with their emotions and dealing with emotional regulation. Those are things that we can learn, but there's so many things that are out there that, can, that you can carry with you. They're very portable, like meditation, uh, mm -hmm. breathing techniques, um and and so forth even self-hypnosis where you can just kind of relax your body um to 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 be able to weather these storms and the more you do it repetition is like you were saying earlier is very important because that's how you're training your brain we learn either through some quick emotionally impactful event we learn from that or we learn through repetition like we do in school repeating the same thing over and over and over again until we get it uh, for most of us, learning these techniques is going to involve repetition. It's repeating it. You can't expect immediate results. And this is where what, what happens is we live in an immediate result world, right? So and when you're sad or down or can't handle something or stressed out, it's easy to go to a place where you can buy alcohol and drink. And then suddenly that alters your state. But it also changes so many things with your physiology as well. It's not a positive way of do, dealing with it. Um, and it's not the way I would suggest anybody deal with it. Um, I'm not against alcohol. I'm just saying that that's no way to treat a, a problem that you have. If you've got a problem, you need to deal with it head on. Uh, so a lot of these techniques that you and I have been talking about here are ways that people can learn to build that resiliency. The idea is to know what that, again, knowing exactly what relaxation feels like, to bring your body back to it, right? To bring your body and mind back to that state of relaxation. And by, you know, exercising on these techniques, just like you do morning exercise, whether it is uh, cardio, or whether you're lifting weights or you're doing something else, some sort of um, moving meditation where it's like yoga mm -hmm. or it's Tai Chi or something else, this is the kind of thing you need to do as well. Incorporate this into your life. Well, I'm just saying that I think it's it's a practice that people start need to start incorporating to their life. They take care of their body. They take if they're conscientious individuals, they take care of their body, what they eat, what they put into it. Um, uh, they might take care of other matters in their life, spirituality, that kind of thing. This is something that needs to be part of that. Is is your psychological slash emotional well being, and how you cope with these stressors it's not going to get any easier i mean we're going to be living in more complex times as we go forward 
And learning to do these things, these biohacks you're talking about, are ways of being able to make you more resilient to these waves of stress that will come through. Well, mm -hmm. there may be another kind of pandemic that happens and you've got to be prepared to be able to handle um, isolation or being in those kind of stressful environments. So these are all good things to be able to pick up, incorporate mm -hmm. into your daily practice because it's very important. Adaptability yeah. uh, is big. So no matter what happens, if you're resilient enough, you're going to adapt and you're going to be the ones to survive without right. any problems. And William, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge, your experience. I got to learn a lot. I'm sure the listeners got to learn a lot. Now, if you had a time machine, let's say, let's go back to our stories. If we had a time machine and you could go back in time and you could change something about yourself, or you could go back in time, let's put it this way, you could give your younger self a piece of advice or two. Sure. What would that be? You know, one of the most important things that any human being can have is self-confidence, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it isn't about being cocky or arrogant or anything else. It's about being confident in who you are, being confident that you're good enough, that you're worthy, and then being able to attach yourself to your authentic leanings your, or your core, whatever you want to call it. That would be something I would like to go back in time because one of the things that I had difficulty with growing up was this idea of confidence. You know, I did not have confidence and not having confidence kind of can be a restriction to you. It's a self-imposed restriction where you don't try things. You don't push yourself a little bit like you were saying before. Let's go outside of the comfort zone a little bit or else grow the comfort zone and push it out to incorporate mm -hmm. new experiences. That would be the thing that I would teach to, uh, to go back and talk to myself about that. I am worthy that even though I'm a little different uh, because of my sensitivity, that is not something that should be a restriction to me. And I should be a little bolder about how I lived my life and more confident, walk confidently. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it is highly important even in today's time. It was important in your time, but it always is important even in today's time where a lot of kids are committing suicide because they aren't matching up to their famous, to their you know favorite influencer or celebrity on TikTok or on Instagram. We have so many young women going into depression even before they entered university. So confidence is one of the things that will take you out of that and it's highly important not for all the adults but even for if you're young and you're listening to this exactly like will said you know everyone is different everyone's different in their own way you might be different in your way but that doesn't mean you're separate from the rest of others you're involved in the same you know community consciousness global populations output everything as we have as humans so make and you're worthy at the end of the day just believe that that you're worthy of anything everything and not just of acceptance of love of care of you know taking care of others everything that one person or you let's say these are especially for the young people like if you think one set of population or people get it's the same for all all of us at the end of the day, humans are the ones who make these borders and things, but nature doesn't. So 
we're a part of this ecosystem. Let's keep that ecosystem alive. And the one way you can do it is by being happy about yourself. And when you're happy, you're confident. So I would like to end this podcast on that note. William, thank you so much for being on the show. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, read your books, go to your blog, what's the best way to reach you? Go to the website. It's called thesensitiveman.com. And that's where the blog is. All my blog articles are, are free, so you can read them. I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. If you want to find out about the books, there's uh, links to where you can get the books. Uh, and there's a lot of other good stuff that I'm adding constantly about that. So, yeah, that would be the number one place is go to the website. All right, go to the website, and we'll put that in the show notes. And once again, William, thank you so much for all the great things you're doing in this world, all the information that you're bringing from your experience, from your knowledge, from your wisdom. We need more people like you. We need more sensitive people. And if you're listening to this, if you have some kind of sensitivity, now is the time that you should think that sensitivity is actually your superpower and embrace it. And this is me, CJ, signing out from the Shift with CJ podcast. Everyone have a great day, a great month, a great year, a great lifetime ahead of you. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.